There you go. Four punch, five punch, six punch combination. Body shot, body shot. Bang, 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 bang. Telling him not to counter punch. Welcome, fight fans. It's time for the main event of the week. It is episode 22 of the Fight City podcast. I will be joined shortly by Michael Carbert. But before we go any further, I'd like to discuss some of the biggest action of this past weekend. I was present at the MGM National Harbor to cover DeZone's card featuring Devin Haney. Of course, for all who saw it, Devin Haney had a terrific performance and culminated it with a massive knockout-of-the-year candidate in the seventh round overhand right put Antonio Moran flat out for the first time in his career. You could kind of see it coming. Moran was taking a lot of punishment throughout the fight, never really had a chance. Uh, I know I was questioning whether or not that fight even needed to go into the seventh round, but sure enough, it did. And sure enough, Devin Haney put an emphatic finish on his wonderful performance up until that point. So going into the fight, he was ranked number four by the WBC. Uh, with that victory, it remains to be seen if he elevates himself in the rankings. Above him are Luke Campbell, who is the number one contender, and Zaur Abdulayev, and as well as Teofimo Lopez. So there's certainly many good fights to be made at lightweight for Devin Haney, and this is what his promoter Eddie Hearn had to say about his future. Eddie, Devin Haney is ranked number four by the WBC. What do you think of the possibilities of a fight against Luke Campbell maybe later this year? He's been ordered to fight, he's been ordered to fight Abdullayev in a final eliminator okay. to fight the winner of Lomachenko against Campbell. So that's probably next for Devin Haney. Okay. Uh, we don't expect the, that winner to fight till fight us till 2020. But again, that's not a problem either. Abdullayev is a very tough fight, but we wanted to see how he deals with Moran. Moran had a good fight when the four rounds with Pedraza, you know, former world champion, went the distance with Lomachenko, and he just destroyed it. What about Teofimo? What about Teofimo? Well, Teofimo Lopez is the hottest lightweight prospect in the world, probably up until Saturday night when uh, Devin Haney showcased what he's all about uh, in another star-making performance, a knockout-of-the-year candidate this time, whereas Teofimo Lopez had the knockout-of-the-year candidate last year. Uh, Devin Haney follows suit. He looks sensational, but it doesn't seem like Devin Haney versus Teofimo will happen in the near future, mostly because of the fact that Haney is a disowned matchroom fighter and Teofimo is a top rank ESPN fighter. We already know Teofimo Lopez is gearing towards an IBF title eliminator in July, I believe, in Madison Square Garden. If he wins that, he'll likely get the winner of Richard Comey versus Raimundo Beltran, the IBF champion, later this year. And then realistically, we could be looking at a unification uh, against uh, the the IBF champion and the winner of Vasil Lomachenko versus Luke Campbell, who will be the WBC lightweight champion. But if that unification doesn't happen off the bat, the winner of Lomachenko Campbell will likely fight against uh, their mandatory challenger, which will be the winner of Zaur Abdulayev and Devin Haney. So certainly an interesting lightweight mix. Lots of good fights. Clearly the three most talented eye-catching opponents on the roster are going to be Lomachenko, Teofimo Lopez, and now Devin Haney. Uh, something of a collision course between the three. 
clearly with uh, the barriers to entry that exist, it seems as if Lomachenko versus Teofimo is more likely to become a reality before Devin Haney gets in that mix because they're both Bob Arum ESPN fighters. But we'll have to see down the road. Lots of good fights to be made at lightweight. So we saw plenty of other good prospects on the card in MGM National Harbor. We had Croatian heavyweight Filip Hergovic, who took out Gregory Corbin in 1 minute and 17 seconds, I believe, of the first round with a right hand to the temple. He's a very, very big heavyweight, six foot six. He improves his record to 8-0, 6 by knockout, and uh, we'll see him against better opposition in the future. He's certainly someone to get excited about. He's a very big puncher. So uh, Michael Hunter, another heavyweight prospect who fell short in his last appearance at MGM National Harbor, got off to a better start this time, getting an easy knockout victory to uh, make the case for himself at heavyweight. He's uh, a little bit soft around the belly at heavyweight. He was a former cruiserweight title challenger, but he gets the impressive victory nonetheless. We'll see him against better opposition. But in my opinion, the best fight of the card, the most competitive fight of the card, uh, most entertaining fight was the female fight, 10 rounds featuring Jessica McCaskill and Anahi Sanchez. Jessica McCaskill, uh, she won the fight convincingly, but it was a very seesaw back-and-forth battle for much of the early to middle rounds. Of course, McCaskill pulled away late to get the unanimous decision victory, and she propels her career forward with the win. Also on the undercard, we saw Lorenzo Truck Simpson absolutely destroy Rafael Garcia. Lorenzo Truck Simpson, 168 pounds, improves his record to 4-0, runs right through Garcia in less than two minutes of the first round, Baltimore prospect, and a nine-time, nine-time national champion. He is someone to look out for in the future. So after the fight, I got a chance to talk to Shakur Stevenson, who, coming off his victory over Christopher Diaz in April in the Garden, he's looking forward to the biggest fights at 126 pounds. He's been calling out Josh Warrington since Warrington won the title last year. But let's hear about what uh, his prospects are from his own words. Hey Shakur, what do you think of uh, Devin Haney tonight? I think that was a beautiful performance. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely motivated. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what's next for you? You trying fight to fight July. the winner of um, Warrington versus Galahad, or? I would do that, but I think uh, they trying to give me a about that side. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be a very good fight for you. Yeah, we both were top resources. So, like, so Bob Arum's talking about it, or? I don't know. It's gonna happen though. All right. Looking forward. Good luck, man. So as you can hear, Shakur Stevenson optimistic about a fight against Oscar Valdez in the future, the WBO featherweight champion of the world, who is just coming back from an injury he suffered last year against Scott Quigg, a gutsy performance that he won with a broken jaw. Uh, He has recently amounted his comeback, and he is an undefeated top-ranked champion right now. Uh, Definitely has a lot of potential. Kind of an odd matchup to think about uh, Bob Arum making, given the fact that we have two unbeaten star commodities in the making, both have star potential. Uh, maybe Shakur Stevenson might have a little more star potential than Oscar Valdez, but I'm not sure why Aaron would want to give up Valdez's uh, unbeaten streak and his marketability if uh, he were to face Shakur Stevenson and come up short. 
Uh, Stevenson is certainly a very, very talented fighter, uh, one of the most talented young prospects in the game, as he showed against Christopher Diaz in his last fight, just completely tore up Diaz, dominated all 10 rounds. Uh, that would not be something that uh, I could envision Aram wanting for another one of his unbeaten young studs like Oscar Valdez, especially a champion. So we'll have to see if that fight materializes, but Shakur Stevenson sounds very optimistic about it being made. All right, and next we're joined by the editor of thefightcity.com, Michael Carbert. How are you tonight, Michael? I'm doing well, Alden. How are you? Doing quite well. So I understand that you have a bit of action that you wanted to discuss from the Fight City of Montreal. Yeah, well, it's, it was a fun weekend of fights. Uh, uh, how did they treat you at the, uh, what is it, the Hard Rock? It's called the MGM National Harbor in Oxenville. Not the Hard Rock National Harbor, the MGM. Okay. <laughs> How did yeah, they so, you? Pretty well. It was a, it was a low-scale event. Um, there weren't too many rows for press row, but it made it kind of a cozy uh, event where a lot of us got to become intimately acquainted with one another and uh, you know, discuss the fights. We all had pretty good seats. It's a very small arena. It's kind of hard to find a bad seat in the general uh, public for that arena. But, you know, for the knockout with Devin Haney, you really felt every bit of the impact that you saw in the replay for the fight. Uh, Devin Haney's seventh round knockout over Antonio Moran, real devastating. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you check it out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there are plenty of knockouts. <laughs> There's plenty of sweat flying, blood, uh, blunt impact. It's a good show. It's a good show, and you had an excellent vantage point. Uh, as, as should be the case when you're covering a fight uh, for the press and and when you're covering a fight for the when you're covering an event for the fightcity.com the um, the brutal truth is you're doing it uh, gratis nobody's nobody's paying you to be there um, unfortunately we're working towards that we're working towards that folks uh, check out our patreon page um, but, uh, yeah, well, I'm glad that they treated you well. I'm glad that you were very close to the ring. There's nothing quite like being uh, within, you know, say, 10 or 15 feet of action. Um, I've, I've had the privilege of, of experiencing that myself uh, at different times in Montreal at different shows and actually having sweat and blood uh, uh, descend upon me uh, from the action. That's, a, that's an amazing experience that not everybody gets to, gets to have. Uh, now, but, uh, having said that the show that took place, um, in the vicinity of, uh, the fight city this past weekend, I was not able to attend and, uh, but it's a, but it's a significant event because it's, it was staged by a brand new company called new era and, uh, new era is a, a venture being backed by Yvonne Michelle. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the business relationship is, but the business itself is being uh, directed by a, a gentleman named Jan Pellerin. And the interesting thing about that is Jan Pellerin is a fighter and he competed. Yeah, he, he's the he's the promoter. He's a businessman, and he's also a fighter. He's he's fought both MMA 
and boxing. He, he is now 7-1 and one as a light heavyweight boxer. Uh, he's been fairly active of late. And Can you imagine Don King in the ring, uh, maybe against Mike Tyson and one yeah, of the – Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> back I think in the of any promoters. Uh, how how, uh, it would be interesting to do the research and find out how many promoters have actually been – responsible as the promoter for a, for an event and at the same time stepped through the ropes and competed and won. Well, I mean, the obvious is, is Mayweather promotions, but besides yeah. that, it's, it's hard to think of one. Uh, Kodo promotions is another, but, uh, I'm not yeah, sure how much actual it's, it's work rare. those guys did though. I mean, the, when you've got that much money, uh, behind you, <laughs> I'm sure you, you have a team of people helping you. I don't know exactly what, uh, Jan Pellerin's uh, resources are, but um, uh, as I say, he's he's being backed by Yvonne Michel, and that that's significant. But the other the other the reason there's a few different reasons to talk about this show. It took place at the Colisée Isabelle Brasseur in a place called Saint Jean sur Richelieu, which is about a 45 minute drive um, east of Montreal. So it's not happening in Montreal. But the show to some degree is in, was inspired by shows that have taken place in Montreal. And specifically the shows that were staged uh, for a few years by a company called Rixa. And Rixa Promotions, which I'm not sure if it exists anymore, um, was closely associated with Grant Brothers. So Grant Brothers, Otis and Howard Grant, former amateur stars, and in the case of Otis, former world champion, professional world champion, two-time world champion. They, they've got their own, <clears throat> excuse me, they've got their own gym. Hmm. They've, they've uh, got their own amateur fighters and pro fighters, and they've done quite well. And for a while, they had their own promotional company called Rixa, and they had a nice little stable of boxers, uh, including Francis Lafreniere and including Eric Bazinian. Well, now here we are, 2019. Rixa seems to have mm-hmm. faded away, but and, and I should add that Francis Lafreniere is now free agent, and Eric Bazinian is now with I the Tiger Management, and uh, he had his uh, stateside debut recently. Um, so. The, the, the scene yeah. has changed, and it hasn't changed in a positive way, uh, from my point of view, at least, here in Montreal. And we see this um, – it's, it's unfortunate because the Rixa shows were doing pretty well, attracting uh, crowds, attracting you – know, getting some grassroots local interest happening. Their last show at the Tohu Theatre in Montreal was a complete sellout. And um, – one of the reasons that it was a sellout is because they didn't, for that particular show, they did not have Bazinian or Lafreniere as headliners. And instead, when they put the show together, they focused on local matchups. So Montreal fighter versus Montreal fighter, Quebec city fighter versus Montreal fighter. And as I say, the place was completely sold out well in advance. When, uh, the night of the event, when you went there, you couldn't find a place to park your car. And the show was fantastic. And one of the fights uh, was a four-round fight between Jean-Michel Bolivar and Jan-Michael Poulain. 
that was a, it was just a four round fight between two novice pros, but it was a war. And we wrote about it on the fightcity.com. And more than once we were like, we'd like to see a rematch. Well, the show that took place at St. Jean sur Richelieu featured a rematch between Poulain and Bolivar. And Poulain won by knockout. And the show also featured Francis Lafreniere back in action after suffering a defeat and a, and a, and a subsequent layoff. Uh, he's back in action. He got another win uh, by decision. And so he's, he's back as a middleweight and looking uh, for bigger fights. And uh, Francis uh, Catroni, who's a uh, popular, uh, Francesco Catroni, I should say, a popular middleweighter, he was in action. Jan Pellerin, as I mentioned. So it was a fun fight card. Uh, but I lament the fact that the, the, an event that, in my opinion, should be happening in Montreal and would probably attract a good crowd in Montreal, the fight city. I mean, that's where these shows should take place. There's been a movement. We, we're seeing more shows now in places like uh, Shawinigan, uh, Ramouski, um, different communities in Quebec. And, and while, at the, uh, you know, I don't hold anything against those communities, and I think the fight fans in those places should get a chance to see boxing for sure. At the same time, I can't help but think that these shows should be happening in the fight city, the, the city which is full of boxing fans, combat sports fans, has more gyms than the rest of Canada put together. That pretty show should be taking place. So I just wanted to, to comment on that and <laughs> uh, send the message out that I don't know what's happening. I don't know why these shows ha are, are going elsewhere, but uh, I'd like to see them happening in Montreal. So hopefully somebody can make something happen. Well, speaking of Montreal and the Fight City, we have a card in the Montreal Casino yes, on June eighth, featuring uh, Shaquille Finn in the main event. Are you looking forward to that fight? In the sense that uh, uh, Shaquille Finn will be fighting for a belt. So, I mean, Shaquille Finn has, has come a long way. He's been in action as a pro now for I think about six years, and uh, he's on the cusp of uh, of bigger and better things. Uh, so, this is an important fight for him. Um, and yeah, it, it'll, it's a it's a showcase card for Group Ivan Michelle at the casino as they as they've done in the past, and uh, uh, yeah, they, they, I think uh, the the fight to be as it were will be out in full force that night uh, for another big show at the at the casino, and then I the Tiger, the rival promotional company, has a big show coming up in Shawinigan uh, with a a rematch of two. Heavy punching heavyweight Simon Keane and Dylan Carmen. Carmen scored a bit of an upset with a with a one shot knockout of Simon Keane, and so this is the rematch. But again, that card is not happening in Montreal or at the Montreal Casino. It's happening in Shawinigan, Quebec. But uh, Zachary Alapi has, uh, who has been on the podcast, you'll recall Alden. Um, hmm. He, he'll be ringside. He's going to cover that show for us in Shawinigan. Yep. Great. 
looking forward to it. And we previously had Shaquille Finn on the Fight City podcast, so I highly recommend everyone check out some of the content we've recorded in the past. So a lot of good action from the Fight City. Uh, we had uh, Gary Russell. I ran into him at MGM National Harbor, was able to talk to him about his future as we had a bit of an awakening as he is all of a sudden a free agent. Here is Gary Russell Jr. I was going to ask him a couple of questions. No worries. Yeah, I mean, you look sensational against Kiko Martinez, but is it hard to get motivated for a fighter like that? It's never hard to get motivated. Mm -hmm. It's never hard to get motivated. Anyone that's preparing themselves for no one else but you is a dangerous opponent. Absolutely. You know, so you have to always take that into consideration as a fighter. You have to. Is there a fight that Eddie Hearn could offer you that would interest you in in, uh, switching ships over to Matchroom? Is there a fight that he would offer? Is there a type of fight that you'd be interested in signing with Eddie Hearn to make that kind of a fight happen Um, or maybe more fights? unless, Unless he's willing offer me a whole lot of money yep. an offer that I can't refuse that's about it the major fights that I really want to compete against are Showtime or PBC you know I want a Leo Santa Cruz fight I want the Javante Tank Davis fight I definitely want those fights so 130 you, you know. see in your near future oh yeah. oh yeah definitely I see myself moving up okay. you know I've only been standing at 26 just for Leo Santa Cruz it's only it's only right to get a unification within the division that I'm in and then move up and wait you know if I I get a unification that I can move on. What about Josh Warrington? Oh, that's a that's a fight that we would love to get. You know, that would be a good fight. Yeah. He's a champion. That would be a unification bout. Yep. You know, that would be a unification bout. And I think that'll generate something that we're looking for as well. You know, yeah. so we'll see. Like I okay. say, I am a free agent. You know, right as of now, I mean, like I say, me and our hand, we have a perfect, a good, working relationship. But because I am a free agent, I have the option yep. to at least listen and hear with some of these other promoters, managers, etc. have to say. Do you think Al Heyman, you know, Dan Grayfield just tweeted recently that you talked to Eddie Hearn about the possibility of going to the zone in the future. Do you think Al Heyman might hear that and say, all right, let's make the fight against Leo Santa Cruz soon? I mean, it's it's possible. It's a big possibility. Yeah. It's definitely a big possibility. Um, That's a fight that we've already been discussing. It's something we've already been talking about. Okay. You know, me and Leo Santa Cruz. That's something we already discussed. He already put it on the table. Already beat him as an amateur, so. <laughs> you know, already beat him as an amateur. Yeah. Um, it's cool that he's still been persistent, and he's a world champion as well. Yep. You know, I think that makes it cool. So. All right, so that was Gary Russell with us. Um, so clearly he has options. He can either... Sign with Eddie Hearn uh, with Matchroom and fight for the zone. Eddie Hearn thinks he can get him three fights a year. Uh, Eddie Hearn, when I asked him if uh, what the chances of Gary Russell signing with Matchroom, Eddie Hearn looked at me in a hurry and he said, if he's smart, 100%. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of that rests on whether or not Gary Russell actually wants to fight three times a year like Eddie Hearn thinks he can offer him. Eddie Hearn clearly can make any fighter very active. Tevin Farmer, he's uh, one of the more active, if not the most active title holders in the world today. And that's a fight that could reasonably be made with Gary Russell Jr. if Russell Jr. decides to move up to 130. But it sounded like from the interview that Russell is uh, a little bit content with Al Heyman, given their business relationship uh, for all the years that they've worked with each other so far. If he signs with Heyman, he can at least think he'll get a big fight in the future with Leo Santa Cruz. Uh, 
I'm not sure how much of a reality that is. Leo Santa Cruz has lost to Russell previously in the amateurs. Uh, Russell seems to my eye to have the stuff to beat a Leo Santa Cruz, albeit in a close fight either way. But uh, it's definitely a risk. Uh, Santa Cruz is a big name for PBC, and um, we'll have to see if that fight materializes. But I was also thinking that you know maybe the fact that Eddie Hearn has made some noise about the possibility the possibility of signing Gary Russell, maybe that'll force Heyman to get off his ass and make some of these big fights. Leo Santa Cruz, maybe even Tank Davis at 130 pounds if Russell's willing to move up. We know that Tank Davis loves to fight featherweights. He really loves featherweights. He was uh, dominant, knocking out Hugo Ruiz earlier this year, a, fi- a featherweight who took the fight on very short notice after Abner Mars pulled off. Uh, so I, I don't know. Uh, there, There is possibilities for Gary Russell, certainly – uh, fight fans are in awe of his talent, but are also frustrated as hell with the fact that he only fights once a year. I'm sure that you share just as much frustration, Mike. Yeah, well, it's always disappointing uh, to see these top-level talents apart and, and refusing to showcase their talents on a regular basis. And um, since 2014, Gary Russell Jr. has had six fights. So, yeah, I mean... The thing is, he's 30 years old, and um, he has to make a decision. Does he want to maximize his career over the next uh, few years and 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 make most of it while he can, or does he want does he want to keep doing business as usual with uh, Al Heyman? So that that's the choice that he has to make. Um, I mean, I know I like to think if I were in his shoes, I'd be you know. Let's uh, let's make some big fights happen. Let's maximize things, and then I'll retire in a couple of years after I've really left my mark on the sport. But uh, I don't know. I don't. I mean, this doesn't bode well for the future of boxing, does it, Alden? I mean, well, Gary Russell uh, is a bit of an odd case. I mean, he's he's. Mar- he's notably inactive uh, in, an, in an era where you know two to three fights a year for a world champion has somewhat become the norm. Gary Russell fighting once a year, sometimes fighting a worthy opponent in his one fight. He did fight a good opponent last year in his sole appearance against Joseph Jojo Diaz Jr. A very good fight there. But yeah, I mean, this is somewhat of an anomaly, but it's also uh, somewhat of a bad trend that we're seeing with fighters getting increasingly inactive. And I think part of that has to do with how uh, how increasingly difficult it is to make some of these bigger fights and fighters, you know, to train and to get in shape and get motivated for some of these big fights. Uh, they, they need a marketable opponent to motivate themselves to do it. Fighting against a Kiko Martinez, if that's your yearly uh, encounter, you know, might be part of the reason why fighters are not motivated to fight more than once a year when they're up against opposition that, uh, um, is easy to make fights against, but also not easy to motivate a fighter to wake out, wake up out of bed to train against. Yeah. Well, it, it, it kind of, uh, becomes a snowball effect in that, um, if you're a relatively inactive fighter, then there's an incentive. The, the incentive builds to be inactive because every fight then has to ha- becomes a high stakes event. There's no such thing anymore uh, as a as a. I mean, in the past, fighters weren't necessarily afraid to lose because a loss meant a rematch. A loss, yeah. a loss could lead to other opportunities. If you're only fighting once a year, then 
there's so much pressure to make sure that that fight then is a success for you. And uh, you can see how uh, there's no incentive to be more active, really, because then you run the risk of failing, of losing. Can't lose in this day and age. No, <laughs> yeah, you can. And uh, so you look at, at Gary Russell Jr. and then you look at, uh, uh, say, Keith Thurman. Um, you look at basically 98% of all the fighters associated with Al Heyman. You know, as I say, this doesn't bode well for the future. I don't see how the sport can thrive when its top talents are, are being so inactive. And that brings up an interesting topic that, we, that we'd like to talk about a little bit, which is an upcoming article uh, that will be featured on thefightcity.com uh, later in the week as we look back on the anniversary of the, of the historic fight between Henry Armstrong and Barney Ross uh, back way back in 1938. And a different era, a, different, a completely different era uh, for boxing in terms of how active fighters were. And um, any thoughts you'd like to share, Alden, as we'll be looking at the anniversary of that match uh, this coming Friday? Well, I mean, just talking about inactivity and, and fighters not not able or maybe not even willing to fight the best. You know, we have Henry Armstrong, who's going to go down as perhaps the most accomplished fighter of all time, pound for pound. Some people, a lot of people rank him as number two pound for pound of all time behind Sugar Ray Robinson. But you know, I, I would dare to say, based on his accomplishments on paper alone, uh, I would have Henry Armstrong a notch above Robinson. I think based on uh, this, the tales, the horror stories of Robinson at 147, of course, we've never seen footage of that, and just his uh, spectacular outings at 160. You know, Robinson, there's not too much complaint that he's the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter of all time on most lists, but you got to think about Henry Armstrong, who's a guy who held almost four of uh, four titles simultaneously uh, in, in, a, in an era where we didn't have much more than eight. You know, previously... Uh, previously, we didn't have all the junior weight divisions that make up our monumental cesspool of different champions, different sanctioning bodies that we have today. Previously, we had one champion for each weight class with less weight classes. And Henry Armstrong held simultaneously the featherweight, the lightweight, and the welterweight championship of the world, almost the middleweight championship of the world in a fight where many people thought he won against Seferino Garcia, a 10-round draw, very controversial. But the fact of the matter is here... If uh, you want to compare uh, fighters of today and fighters of uh, in the Henry Armstrong era, and you take Henry Armstrong, who is the featherweight champion of the world, and you take Gary Russell, for example, who is the featherweight champion of the world in this day and age, and you look and you and you think about Henry Armstrong's fight against Barney Ross, Henry Armstrong was a featherweight champion who went up against the best welterweight champion of, uh, well, a, the, the welterweight champion and one of the best fighters of all time. Burt Sugar has Barney Ross ranked as the 20th greatest fighter of all time. Uh, and he ended his career. He destroyed him. He, he took the fight to him. He never stopped coming, and he sent him right into retirement. And this is a Barney Ross that was coming off a win against uh, Jimmy McLarnon and, and fighters like Tony Canzanieri. And this is a very established fighter who was beat down by a guy who – was weighing, I think, 130-some-odd pounds, uh, and a guy who is currently the featherweight champion. That'd be like Gary Russell doing uh, the same thing to Earl Spence. 
I mean, can you imagine that? Can anyone imagine that? Is that such a foreign concept in this day and age uh, that people would just laugh at the thought of it? That was happening in the 1930s. 1938, we had Henry Armstrong you know, make history with his uh, dominant unanimous decision win over Barney Ross, uh, sending a great champion like Ross into retirement. But let's not forget that Barney Ross is still one of the greatest fighters of all time and, and really a symbol for for Jews during the Holocaust or during the onset of the Holocaust right before yeah, World War II. Yeah, and that's the focus of my article uh, that'll be – uh, featured on the site. I focus more on Barney Ross and the story of Barney Ross. It's an amazing story. Um, it's like a Hollywood movie, uh, how he was uh, associated as, as a young person, uh, in the circumstances of his family, all the oppression uh, at the time against the Jewish people and how, his, how he had to rise above that. It's a, it's a fascinating story. And it figures large in his fight with Henry Armstrong because he took a terrible beating. As you say, even though um, Ross was clearly the bigger man, they, they estimate that by the time they got into the ring, Ross probably had at least 15 pounds on Armstrong. But, but it was still a completely one-sided beating um, for Henry Armstrong and people at ringside were calling for the fight to be stopped. But because of the, the, what was happening politically outside the ring at that time, uh, in 1938 with the rise of Adolf Hitler in Germany and the widespread hatred towards the Jewish people. I mean, the idea of surrendering, I mean, Ross was just not going to even, think about it, even though at one point late in the, in, in the fight, uh, his cornermen were apparently begging him, uh, you know, let us throw in the towel, please, you know, enough. But he And Barney Ross said in response to that, I won my title in the ring and I'll lose it in there. I won't that's quit. That's right. And he went the full, the full route. And of course, I leave this out of the article because I, I want to highlight the heroism of, of Barney Ross. Reportedly, um, outsiders went to Armstrong basically during the fight and said, could you please carry him? You know, instead of beating the crap out of him and knocking him out, can you carry him? And, uh, and Armstrong said, yeah, no problem. So the last few rounds, he didn't go for the kill. And, and, you know, so that, that's something that was commonplace back in the day. I don't think people do that nowadays so much, but, um, uh, so, so, I mean, it's a fascinating story. There's so many ways of, of looking at that fight, so many different uh, layers to the story. Um, but while what I wrote focuses on Barney Ross, I agree with you. Given, given the current climate in boxing and the, and the ongoing problem of fighters who just don't seem to want to fight very much, yeah, the, the, the other side of the story is an incredible fighter named Henry, Henry Armstrong who thought nothing of fighting 15, 20, 25 times a year against some of the best fighters who probably ever lived. I mean, the, the level of competition was just so much more fierce than it is today. And uh, what he achieved is, is nothing short of phenomenal and uh, can never be matched. I mean, they, as soon as Armstrong won three world titles at the same time, the sport of boxing said, okay, we're going to pass a rule that once you win a title 
or, or sorry, when when you when you if you're a world champion, when you win another title, then you have to give up the first title. And so they made it basically impossible that, that anybody could ever match Armstrong's feet. Um, and, and I'm glad they did that because uh, now I can't recall him defending the featherweight title all that often after he beat PD Saren. No, well, he, you know, I, he I, was a bit, he was, uh, while he wasn't a, uh, a particularly big welterweight, he was too big for the featherweights by the time he moved up. You know, I mean, there's a reason why, the title he did defend 19 times was the, the was the welterweight championship. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's just the point I want to make is now now there's so many divisions and so many quote unquote world titles that that I mean Adrian Broner is a four time four division world champion. You know, I don't even get me started with that. I mean. <laughs> Decades, right? It took decades between uh, uh, the last guy to do it. I think Henry Armstrong. Uh, my memory's going on me here, but but it, it took decades between. Uh, I mean, Barney Ross himself actually counts, I believe, as a triple crown champ, as does Tony Canzanari. If we if we yeah. if we count the uh, junior, so-called quote-unquote junior titles, junior yep. divisions. They did have the junior welterweight title. There's yeah. a limited amount of junior titles, but I think junior welterweight was one of the first junior titles. But then, uh, but then it, it, it was decades before Wilfred Benitez accomplished the feat. Um, and then Alexis Arguello, they were triple crown champions in the 1980s. And now, since then, we have a plethora of triple crown champions and even four division champions. I mean, it's crazy. Um, Adrian Broner, back in the day, he would – I doubt he would ever have won a single world title if he were competing in Henry Armstrong's era. Um, so it's it's it highlights again, um, and I imagine I'm getting to sound like a broken record, but it, it's uh, well, I I don't I don't I choose to see it a little bit differently because I feel like the atmosphere in which these guys had to fight they didn't you know they didn't have money to lose their souls to they they only had the ring. They didn't really have the same avenue towards luxury that fighters of today have. Uh, you know, they were forced to fight multiple times a year, regardless of how good they were. Uh, they couldn't rest on their riches, and you know, there was always back to the lab and back to fighting rough, tough fights, longer fights, fifteen round fights. Uh, yeah, it, it was. Um, it was like, it was the kind of atmosphere that would force fighters to bring a different level of themselves out and not languish the way that we've seen fighters like Adrian Broner do today. I mean, I have no idea, uh, given different circumstances, how Adrian Broner would compare uh, to all-time greats of the past. I mean, I want to say not very well, based on this lack of effort that we've seen in the ring today, but yeah. he doesn't have to give that much of himself today to be successful. Unfortunately, people are quite content with his antics outside of the ring and his lack of fire inside of the ring that just culminates in uh, – you know, more excuses that make us drawn to see him again. Hopefully that ends soon. Yeah, but uh, that, I think that's, that's kind of that's not wishful go thinking. Away. And, for, and one other point I'd like to make, uh, sort of to contradict myself a little bit, is that while while I'm far from alone in, in lamenting the ridiculous proliferation of quote-unquote world title belts and so on and so forth, then you see a guy like uh, Jamel Herring, 
and and he won he won a world title on the weekend. And again, what is that in in historical yep. terms? What is that world title really worth? I don't know, you know. But when you see his reaction when the decision was announced and he was declared the winner and he won that title and you see what it meant to him. So then you pause and you think, well, yeah. Okay. The, 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 there's, there's an obvious downside to all this. It cheapens, uh, uh, you know, the, the top prize in the sport, it cheapens the sport you can argue. But then on the other hand, more world titles mean, more fighters get to achieve that that dream. You get to see a fighter like Jamel Herring exalt. You know, I mean, how can you not feel? That's that's a, one of the great feel good stories of recent boxing news, recent boxing time. And uh, so, to who 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 wasn't happy to see him win a world title and celebrate that in the ring? So that's the other side of it. Yep, there's certainly more opportunities to win a world title, but uh, it's boxing inflation in a sense that we're seeing world titles mean progressively less as uh, they're becoming more readily accessible. Uh, and when you obtain them, all of a sudden you find out that, hey, all your plans have to go out the window because you have to make a defense against Sergei Derevianchenko. I'm talking about Canelo Alvarez instead of pursuing bigger and better things, such as a unification versus Demetrius Andrade. Well, and, and, but and before, we, before we there, leave this so. topic, let's just take a <laughs> totally second to different. reflect on the absurdity of uh, a WBA welterweight champion, Keith Thurman, fighting another WBA welterweight champion in Manny Pacquiao. They're both WBA champions in the same division that is just, i mean it's just we've gone we've gone beyond the the realm of insanity into just total well, I, I always i always like the super absurdity. champions that are uh, in in a super uh prefix division such as the wba super middleweight super champion callum smith is an example <laughs> it's almost as if you know how many how many super champions can you get? I mean, how many super titles can you have in a uh, in a prefix? It's just becoming absurd. Uh, it, 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 it's it's like it's, it's, if you wrote a satirical novel and and had all this in it, you know, people would say, "Oh, this is brilliant satire." But the sad thing is, it's not satire. It's actually what's happening, and it's just it's making boxing. Uh, so convoluted and, and ridiculous. It, it's turning boxing into a laughing stock. And for some of us, that's, that's painful. That's it's, yeah. it's unfortunate. Well, speaking of Callum Smith, he will be on the undercard of next week's mega show in the Madison square garden of Anthony Joshua against Andy Ruiz. This is Anthony Joshua's first fight in us soil. And um, it, it, it didn't have to be this way against Andy Ruiz. I'm not going to totally trash Andy Ruiz. I think he's a better fighter than a lot of people make him out to be. But you know, he wasn't their first pick. They, as in matchroom, AJ, Anthony Joshua and Eddie Hearn, they landed on Ruiz after Joshua was originally supposed to face Jarrell Big Baby Miller, who couldn't keep his 300-pound self off of human growth hormone, amongst many other PEDs, <laughs> uh, for some reason. And then off to Luis Ortiz, another PED offender, who turned down a $5 million offer to face Joshua after taking a $500,000 offer to face Deontay Wilder last year. 
I don't understand how your stock goes up more than 10 times after you lose via stoppage. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, it, it befuddles me, but but this is how we ended up on Andy Ruiz. So for all those that have uh, criticized Joshua for the fight, it's not his fault in this case. Um, of course, we all want to see him against Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury, but he's fighting Andy Ruiz. It's his first fight on U.S. soil, so we'll give him a break for now. And uh, we'll see how he looks. I mean, Andy Ruiz, uh, we have fighter, We have uh, Lee Wiley on our site thinking uh, he doesn't have much of a chance against Anthony Joshua. I don't think anyone is picking Ruiz to win or even get close to winning. But I don't think he's a bad fighter either. He's a guy that fought a close fight against Joseph Parker in 2016, his only loss. Uh, he doesn't look like an athlete <laughs> at all, really. Uh, kind of a short, little, chubby guy. Uh, relatively short, but he's pretty quick. He's pretty agile. He's pretty slippery. And some of these traits are what gave Joshua issues against Alexander Proviekin last year in a fight Joshua eventually won by knockout, but was losing rounds uh, as he was getting um, beat to the punch. And also um, he was getting caught by some of those quick flurries that Proviekin throws. Proviekin's a good fighter, probably better than Ruiz, but he did lay out a bit of a weakness in Joshua and that Joshua has very, very slow feet. He, um, he takes a while to get set. He's built like a bodybuilder, but he's not fluid at all in there. And uh, it's something he's definitely going to have to work on down the line if he wants to unify the division, if he's able to, against Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, because he certainly has the least amount of fluidity out of that whole trifecta. And uh, he might be the most well-schooled fighter out of the three in terms of how he throws and moves his head, but he's very stiff. And I think a guy like Ruiz might exploit that if Joshua hasn't developed since his last fight against Poviekin. Well, all I can say is uh, when are we ever going to see Wilder versus Joshua or a rematch of Wilder versus Fury or Fury versus Joshua, which, you, you know, I, I, I must, I can't help but think that that is the big fight that, uh, guys like Frank Warren and Eddie Hearn are eyeing because it would be an absolutely massive event yeah. in the UK. Um, but uh, the heavyweight division, you know, generally speaking for the last, what, 10, 15 years, it's a very weak division. Suddenly, we actually have some really intriguing matchups at the top of the division, and they're not anywhere close to happening. And it's it's uh, how can a boxing fan not feel dissatisfied with with what's going to happen uh, Joshua versus Ruiz? I mean, I don't see how Ruiz has any chance to win. I, I hear what you're saying about uh, how he might uh, give Joshua some problems with his quickness and his boxing skills, but I mean Joshua is just so much bigger, stronger, hits hits harder. At some point, I, I think he's going to stop him. Mm. Um, but, you know, I mean, uh, reportedly it's a pretty stacked undercard, so that'll make up to some degree for a, a main event that's less than compelling. Uh, but then, of course, once the fight's over, all the questions are going to rise up again. Okay, what's next? And can, are, can we ever look forward to the big matches again? I mean, we were so excited because not only did – Fury versus Wilder turned out to be one of the more compelling fights of 2018, but it looked like they were going to have an, a rematch right away uh, 
you know, that, that yeah. is good for the sport. But it got scuttled, and now we're back to the same old, same old for the heavyweights. Eh, it's, it, it's, yeah, what can I say? It's, uh, yeah. it's disappointing. Tyson Fury now signed with top rank and fighting under ESPN. He'll fight next month against Tom Schwartz, a uh, fight that nobody wants to see, of course. Um, just the fact that he signed with top rank and ESPN kind of brings us a little bit further or probably a big step further away from having this trifecta unify against one another. So we'll probably see a fight with uh, Dillian White against one of the three before we ever see those three fight each other. Uh, Dillian White's a good fighter, but I mean, these guys are clearly on another level in my opinion. And uh, it's time to see them fight each other. I mean, it's, it's time to have the round Robin. I don't care what it takes. If it takes a, uh, hold on, wait, hold on. I got to stop you there, Alden, because Dillian White's got a fight on his hands, (laughs) right? I mean, Oscar, Oscar Ruiz Oscar is no pushover. Oscar Rivas, uh, you know, coming off that knockout of Bryant Jennings. I mean, uh, he's a live dog for sure. So uh, we'll, we'll first have to see if Dillian White can, uh, can take care of business uh, with him. And uh, naturally, I mean, uh, Oscar Rivas is without a doubt. He's a Colombian uh, transplant, but um, he's the best heavyweight uh, currently uh, fighting out of Canada. And uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, excited fight fans uh, looking forward to that matchup. Uh, since you brought it up, what do you think? I mean, I, I tend to think that uh, uh, White better not be looking past Revis because he's he's quick. He's got excellent stamina. And he can yeah, punch I mean, a bit. Revis is definitely going to bring the fight to him. Revis, he's uh, he's an aggressive, strong fighter, very strong, very well-built fighter that carries his power into the late rounds. We saw him do that against Bryant Jennings in his last fight, or at least one of his last fights. I forget which. And um, Dillian White, he's a guy that struggled in the late rounds, most notably against Joseph Parker in the past. So uh, White certainly, uh, he's I think he's the longer guy. Uh, he definitely has some very promising attributes. He has a great left hook, one of the best in the division. But if he gets pushed late by Oscar Rivas, Rivas is definitely a live dog, and he can definitely put himself right there in title contention against any of the three big heavyweights if he wins that fight. Uh, that would certainly be a big accomplishment for for Rivas and also for Canada, Canada's boxing scene. Well, and, and I think you can make the case that that is a, at the moment given what, what else is happening in the division, that's one of the most, maybe one of the best matchups uh, that we're going to see from the heavyweight that's division. That's a good point. Year. I think it I think it definitely is. I mean, hoping we'll see something of significance later this year, but, you know, <laughs> uh, not sure if that's going to happen given the political climate amongst uh, heavyweight boxing right now. So definitely looking forward to Oscar Rivas and Dillian White in the future, a real big uh, important fight to determine uh, basically oh, who's going to be the next um, who's going to be the next big title contender at heavyweight. Uh, but on the undercard of Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz, we had some very good action. We previously mentioned Callum Smith, the WBA super middleweight super champion. Of course, the super middleweight regular champion by the WBA is Canelo Alvarez. 
Callum Smith given an impressive victory on American soil. I think this might be his first fight on American soil. A uh, fight with Canelo Alvarez has been at least talked about following Canelo's victory over Danny Jacobs. It's no secret Canelo's uh, inching towards a move up to super middleweight as soon as he unifies, if he unifies the titles at middleweight. Uh, that would be a huge fight down the line. I know there's some interest in that already. Uh, we also have Josh Kelly, one of the more impressive prospects out of the UK. He's going up against Ray Robinson, <laughs> not Sugar Ray Robinson, of course, uh, <laughs> but a good fighter nonetheless. And Josh Kelly is, certainly has a chance to make a name for himself uh, if he impresses in the garden against Ray Robinson. But I think the probably the, the best, probably the the best fight on the card, of course, is the female fight. I think it's the greatest female fight of all time. You've got Katie Taylor, who is clearly phenomenal, one of the best pound-for-pound female fighters, and she's going up against Delphine Pursoon, if I'm pronouncing the name correctly, who's 43-1, and has beaten every female she's faced in the ring, and they're fighting to unify the championship uh, in their division. So that's certainly a phenomenal fight. Uh, fans of female boxing will certainly get their money's worth on this one. And uh, maybe it'll even steal the show. I'm not sure. Yeah, and uh, four different titles on the line for that matchup. And all I gotta say is, and and I am when I may, when I say this, I'm uh, this is a this is a something that even all the as I understand it, most female fighters are asking for this. Enough with these two minute rounds. There's absolutely no reason why a female boxer cannot box a three minute round. It's it's insulting. It's demeaning to, to to female competitors. And I mean, why can't why can't Katie Taylor showcase her skills for the same kind of uh, duration as as her male counterparts? I think it's ridiculous. And uh, more and more people are calling for this. Uh, let let let's have let's yeah. have twelve round fights. Let's have three minute rounds. Why not? No, I mean, when I was at the MGM National Harbor, the best fight of the night, I can say this with confidence, was Jessica, Misca- Jessica McCaskill versus Anahi uh, Sanchez in a 10-round fight. Of course, two-minute rounds, like you said. And everyone in press row, uh, they were bemoaning the fact that those rounds were only two minutes. Everyone I talked to, at least, two-minute rounds, it just wasn't enough for these two girls who were scrapping it out, giving it their heart, uh, giving it everything, and certainly giving us the best fight of the night. Uh with Jessica McCaskill coming out on top, but two minutes was not enough, at least in that case. And, well, and certainly we many had others. our voices to the chorus that's calling for a significant change there. So let's hope that some uh, athletic commission or sanctioning body takes the lead and, and puts an end to that nonsense. We'll see. We'll see. The only thing they can detract us with is a compelling medical case, but there's been a lot of, uh, arbitrary decisions based on uh, fighters' health. Um, of course, we had going from 15 rounds to 12 rounds. We've had contemplation over having 90-second breaks between the rounds. But as we stated in previous podcasts, at the end of the day, boxing is dangerous. I think you said Thomas Hearns is the one who said that? Yeah, um, yeah Thomas Hearns was asked in an interview. You know, about what changes should be made in boxing. This was after uh, Dooku Kim uh, lost his life. Uh, following his fight with Ray Mancini way back in 1982. And someone asked Thomas Hearns his opinion on what changes could be made to make boxing safer. And he said, more or less said, uh, 
I'm paraphrasing, but he he basically said boxing isn't safe. Boxing's dangerous. Nothing you can do about it. That's the way it is. And that, that's the reality that yeah. that uh, you know we fans and participants alike have to uh, have to deal with. Yeah. Well, certainly we want the best for these female fighters in terms of their health, but we also should acknowledge uh, what is arbitrary and, and what is demeaning to such great athletes like Katie Taylor and Delphine Pursun and, of course, Jessica McCaskill, who we saw this last weekend. So that's about a wrap for episode 22 of the Fight City podcast. And I look forward to seeing everyone next time. Thanks, guys.